Well, good morning. Thanks for gathering together with us. Our pattern is a little different today because we've done an in-person gathering, but I wanted to record this and be able to uh, get it up to you who weren't able to be with us. We're going to do what we always do each week. We're going to look at a passage from God's Word. We're going to talk about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible with you there, Bible app, whatever it is, would you turn to our passage today, Matthew 6, beginning now, verse 19. Follow along with me as Jesus continues on in his teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus writes this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and be devoted and, and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's God's word. Let me pray for us quickly, and then we'll dive into this together. Spirit of God, I ask now, would you come and illumine the preaching of your word? Open up this word to us, Father. Uh, Reveal to us what it is you want us to see. Show us what it is you want to show to us, and then give us the faith to walk into whatever you're showing us and revealing to us, whatever it is, trusting that you know best and that you have our best in mind. As I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Amen. It, uh, it was the second century church father, Tertullian, who is credited with saying these words, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. How many of you heard this before? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, by which he meant that the willing sacrifice of kingdom citizens, even unto death, was the kingdom investment, if we could call it that, that helped spark the spread of the church all the way to the ends of the earth. We'd actually been studying through the book of Acts in our home group recently, and so this quote actually just struck me, really stood out to me, because of course, it was the stoning of Stephen, the very first Christian martyr that we read about in Acts chapter 7 that demonstrates this very reality that Tertullian is talking about. As we read in just following on in Acts chapter 8, those who were scattered following Stephen's death went about preaching the word wherever they went. And from Stephen to the rest of the apostles, from people like Polycarp to Tyndale, from Ridley and Latimer to Jim Elliot to, to countless other men, women and children whose names we may never know. We have this great cloud of witnesses of of those who gave their very lives in faithfulness to Christ, which is in large part the reason that you and I are are gathering here as the church still 2,000 years later. And I don't know if it's the same for you, but whenever I read of their stories, whenever I hear about their suffering for Christ and whatever it is, The question that always comes to my mind, and really that that haunts me in light of their stories, is what could I do the same? You ever wonder that? Like, could I do what they did? Would I really be willing to remain faithful to what I say I believe so firmly in the face of lions about to tear me apart? 
in the face of fire about to burn me, in the face of men standing there with shovelfuls of dirt, ready to bury me and my family alive for my faith in Christ. Could, would I really remain faithful in that moment? And of course, the reason that we, I, I, you and I we even need to ask that question and wonder is because our experience of faith in Jesus, like identification with Jesus in the church in North America for the most part is so drastically different. It's so different from that experience of these faithful saints in the past or really that, that countless people still experience in other parts of the world today. Our experience here in North America is so radically different. Like what the, the greatest threats to any of us here today for faith in Jesus is what? Maybe being canceled on social media? I don't know, the, the church losing its charitable status, its tax-exempt status, those are, those are the, the threats to us today. Like, what, what is it? What, what is it that enabled the church for the last 2,000 years to face losing infinitely more? Uh, jobs, homes, families, freedom, their lives, like, to lose everything and yet remain steadfast in their faith. What, what was it? Well, as we consider our passage today from Matthew's Gospel, what I'd like to suggest to you is that the thing that enabled these men and women to hold fast had very little to do with their being courageous. They were just courageous people. And almost everything to do with what they truly treasured and where their treasure was kept. I believe that's the thing that enabled them to stand firm in these unbelievable circumstances. And, and listen, I, I don't presume that you do I don't actually presume that you want to, uh, but, but if you do, if you and I want to develop an indestructible faith like theirs, not, not, listen, not a perfect faith, not a faith that never struggles or, or has doubts or asks questions, but an indestructible faith for ourselves that will be able to hold fast to Jesus no matter what comes against us, I believe we need to honestly be able to discern the answer to those same two questions for ourselves, and that's actually how I want to divide up our time in our passage this morning with these two questions. What is it that I truly treasure? And where is my treasure kept? What is it that I truly treasure? Where is my treasure kept? So if you closed your Bibles, your Bible app, whatever it is, would you open them again with me to our passage here? Matthew 6, beginning at verse 19. Follow along with me as Jesus really lays it out for us, just lays the groundwork for kingdom citizens to begin developing this kind of beautiful, indestructible, unbreaking faith for ourselves. Okay, so let's first of all answer the question, what is it that I truly treasure? What is it that I truly treasure? And, and in order to answer that question, let me just first explain what I believe Jesus means by that word treasure, because if we, if we don't understand how he's using the word treasure, we're not going to be able to answer the question in the way Jesus is asking it. And to be fair, that, that, that word treasure can be confusing for us to define, uh, because when we hear Jesus talk about laying up or storing up treasure there in verse 19 and 20 of our passage, it's easy to stop I don't know, kind of get stuck at just thinking about physical treasure alone. 
Just like, the, you know, the kind of treasure you know, like Jack Sparrow would be hunting for in the Black Pearl or, you know, diamonds and rubies and, and, and gold and stock portfolios, investment properties, these kinds of things. Just kind of get stuck and stop at seeing physical treasure and not go any deeper than that. But it's important to realize that, yes, while Jesus does absolutely have those very kinds of things in mind when he talks about treasure, what he goes on to say there about our heart, about our bodies, about our service, reveals that what Jesus is more concerned about is with our heart's response to these things. Like, for example, many people will say they, they love their families. I love my family so much. But what they treasure is the sense of purpose they get from their jobs. Love their families, they do, but what they treasure is the sense of purpose they get from their jobs. And so anytime work and family interests come into conflict, they're going to choose work almost 100% of the time because that's what they treasure. Yes, they love their families, but they treasure that sense of purpose. Or, or people would say they love, they love their friends so much. Oh my, I got such great friends, close friendships, I love them. But what they really treasure is unconditional acceptance. And so the moment one of those friends uh, challenges them on some harmful pattern in their lives, kind of calls them out on some behavior in their lives, the friendship dissolves almost instantaneously. Why? Well, because it challenges what they truly treasure, that unconditional acceptance. Hopefully, you're beginning to see when Jesus talks about our treasure, what he's ultimately referring to is our objects of worship. That's what he's really referring to that's what jesus means by that word those those things those treasures be they possessions be they people whatever it is that you ascribe ultimate value to in your life and to which you regularly sacrifice your time your talent money everything to and maybe you say well i mean that's good for you guys I, i'm actually not a religious person uh i don't i don't worship i don't offer sacrifices to god so that, i'm not sure how this is going to really help me and yet all across the world today, everywhere, we have temples set up, be they stadiums, uh, shopping malls, entire streets like Wall Street, where, where, where people gather to worship their gods of sport, their sporting team, uh, commerce, uh, beauty, whatever it is, every day of the week. It's, it's something we all do, every single one of us. And, and think about that. Whatever it is that you treasure in this life, when you treasure something or someone, you'll, you'll give anything for it, won't you? You'll sacrifice anything for that. You'll gladly give up time and sleep that you wouldn't give up for anyone else, but you'll give it for that person that you treasure. You'll, you'll lay down hundreds of dollars on top of the hundreds of dollars you've already shelled out for the tickets in order to buy that signed jersey, in order to buy that, that t-shirt, in order to buy that ridiculously overpriced food and domestic beer, uh, for, for that, that, that team, that artist that you treasure, whatever it is, which, which is why when you look at these first verses of our passage, verse 19 and 20, you see Jesus just assumes, he assumes our treasuring and worshiping of something. He's not even questioning that. He's like, sent, basically since you on the basis of that knowledge that you are worshiping something, he warns us, when you do that, don't lay up treasures on earth for yourself, but instead lay them up in heaven. Now, it's important to understand why Jesus warns us about what we choose to treasure, which, as he points out in those same verses, has everything to do with the long-term security and, and stability and sustainability of those things that we invest 
our time, talent, and money into. Invest in, treasure anything or anyone in this world. Make, make that your ultimate goal, your ultimate purpose in life, says Jesus, and the principle of diminishing returns immediately comes into effect. That is, no matter how much you continue to pour into and invest in that thing you treasure, the fixed variables in our world of death, corrosion, and corruption will eventually and inevitably take that treasure from you. As F.D. Bruner notes regarding Jesus' examples of these corrosive effects always present in our world, he says this, quote, The moth is nature's corrosion eating away. The rust is time's corrosion and the thief humanity's corrosions and all three together representing the insecurity of life lived for accumulation. But notice, look, notice Jesus' corrective to this failing, depreciating life investment system is not to just encourage us towards some sort of stoicism, some sort of asceticism, casting away everything, like just telling us like, hey, so just stop treasuring things. That's the secret. Stop, uh, just, just put away and leave, leave life and, and live a life that's free from desires of any kind or possessions. That's not what he says. No, Jesus' encouragement is instead, look, is to treasure things that are eternal, that have infinite sustainability and value. Now, we'll talk about how where those treasures are kept helps protect them from any of those corrosive forces in a minute. But the way that I read verse 19 and 20 anyways, Jesus seems to also be implying that there's actually a distinction between earthly treasures and heavenly treasures. That, that there could ultimately, those could ultimately be two different things. So here's an example of, of how this could work. M many of us, if you're, if you're married or, or you know married people, you'll hear people talk about their spouse as someone that they just treasure. I treasure this person in my life. I, I love them and I treasure them. And yet, in responding to some of the religious rulers' wacky, made-up scenarios about marriage in Matthew 22, Jesus responds to their questions by saying that in heaven, quote, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. This thing that we treasure so much here on this earth doesn't exist in heaven. And I don't know, maybe that sounds awful for some of you. People are just like, oh, what? Or maybe it sounds relieving. I don't know. But the point is, an earthly marriage, as, as beautiful and wonderful a thing as that is, is not an eternal thing. It's not an eternal treasure, but rather, like so many other things in the Bible, a beautiful picture that points to an even more beautiful eternal reality in heaven, namely, the relationship between Christ and his church. That's what our earthly marriage relationships picture and point to. That relationship, relationship between you and Jesus, a, a saving relationship with Christ by faith, that, that is eternal. That relationship is lasting, which is why that relationship is absolutely worthy of treasuring. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us this, Colossians 3, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on these things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Which, hear me. Listen, isn't for a moment to suggest that all these earthly things that we value so much and we treasure, marriage, family, friendships, food, sex, vacations, whatever it is, that these things aren't beautiful gifts from God to be fully enjoyed, to be pursued, to be cherished. It doesn't mean any of that. 
Yes, those are all wonderful, incredible gifts to, to be enjoyed fully. We should enjoy them. It simply means acknowledging the reality that unlike Jesus in a relationship with him, none of these things are eternal. None of these things are not subject to corruption and corrosion, and therefore they, they cannot bear the weight of our worship. Only a relationship with Jesus can do that. Okay, but now take that understanding of treasure now and apply it to what we see in the lives of these faithful witnesses. Men and women with this indestructible faith who are willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of Christ. Do you see how easily they would have folded? How easily they would have denied Christ and abandoned their kingdom investment if what they truly treasured most of all was their possessions? If they truly treasured most of all their family or just even their lives? How easily they would have folded. Because all of these things, as, as wonderful and great as they are, not that they're not important, but they're not eternal, and thus could be taken from them by death. So if that was their greatest treasure, any of these things, you see how easily they would have folded. But because Christ, because a relationship with him was the thing that they treasured most in their lives, that was the thing that enabled them to stand firm. That was the thing that gave them this indestructible faith. That was the thing, as Paul says later in Philippians 3, that enabled them to suffer the loss of all things, that they may gain Christ and be found in him. Again, not that they had nothing else that they valued in their lives or worth living for, but that Christ was the one who had ultimate value for them. He was the ultimate treasure of their lives, and therefore that was the thing that made their faith indestructible, even in the face of death. Okay. So that was what they truly treasured. Let's look lastly here at where their treasure was kept. And in so doing, we'll consider the question for ourselves as we do, where is my treasure kept? Where is my treasure kept? And maybe at first glance you think that's, that question just seems super easy to answer. <laughs> We're just like, oh, 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 I know this one. If the treasure is Jesus, okay, Jesus, the treasure is kept in heaven, right? And, and, and yes, I mean, yes, yes, that, that, that's right. And yet, remember, what, 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 what Jesus is concerned about is not just what we treasure, but also the heart's response to what we treasure, remember? You see that, first of all, in verse 21 of our passage. Look with me there. After contrasting earthly treasure with heavenly treasure, Jesus doesn't conclude by saying, so if you store up for yourself treasure in heaven, then you'll be treasuring the right things. No, what does he say? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you look at what Jesus now goes on to say in verse 23, he adds these, verse 22 and 23, he adds these, these seemingly cryptic words now. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now what in the world does that mean? What, what, what does he mean by that? Well, if you think of our eyes, like our sense of sight, as the thing by which we see, right? That, that's the thing where, where light comes into us through our eyes, right? So it's easy to see how if you're seeing well, your body will be, quote-unquote, full of light, Whereas if your vision was impaired or your vision was completely restricted altogether, no matter how light it was around you, you'd still be, quote, full of darkness. 
I think Jesus is using this metaphor of what we see as well as how it affects the light inside of us directly with the heart's response to treasure that he just spoke of in verse 21 because I think the point Jesus is trying to make, first of all, is that what we treasure affects the way we see. It affects our ability to see. And we we talked about this a a little bit already when we looked at the question of what is it that I truly treasure? Because when you treasure something, when you value things, uh, when you value it above all other things, it tends to have this powerful influence on how you see everything else, doesn't it? I mean, look no further for an example of this than the lyrics to the classic 1966 ballad, When a Man Loves a Woman. There, there we learn, and maybe you've experienced this, when the eyes of a man's heart are filled with love for another woman, what will he do? He, he'll give up all his comforts. He'll sleep out in the rain. He'll turn his back on his best friend if he puts her down. Like, like he'll see all these things, comforts, where he, everything is seen differently now in light of that thing that he values and treasures so much. So, so this is the reason Jesus warns that what we choose to treasure is of such importance. But I believe this is also the reason Jesus seems to be concerned about where it is we lay or store up our treasure. Because on the one hand, the placement of our treasure has implications as it relates to the security of that thing, right? As Jesus just finished saying about treasure stored up in heaven, they're, they're free. They're, they're, they are kept outside of the reach of corrosion and corruptible effects that treasures on earth remain always susceptible to. So it speaks to the security. But on the other hand, as it relates to what Jesus just said here in verse 22 and 23, I think Jesus is also referring to how it is that we tend to hold things that we treasure. Don't we, when you really value and treasure something or someone, don't we tend to hold people and things that we treasure so close to us, so close to our hearts and right in front of us? Therefore, I think what Jesus is saying is that while what we treasure has to do with our affections, the affections of the heart, where we hold, where we lay up our treasure has to do with the amount of light that gets in, as well as, therefore, our ability to see clearly. Holding things too closely to us can sometimes block out the light in our ability to see. And that that has huge implications for us as it relates to indestructible faith, developing this kind of indestructible faith. Because sure, on the one hand, if we're treasuring the wrong things, that can block out the light of us being able to see clearly where we're going. It can block out even the light of being able to just honestly assess the sustainability of what it is we're treasuring. Treasuring the wrong things can absolutely do that. But on the other hand, if we're holding even these eternal treasures too closely, we can end up being discouraged, disappointed, disillusioned even when we find we can't fully enjoy them now. We can't enjoy all the fullness of those those things that we treasure, even eternal things right now, because maybe you already know that's the thing about these eternal treasures that we have in Christ. They have that same quality, which we talked about a few weeks ago and. Uh, if you were here for our in-person gathering about talking about Romans, the, these eternal treasures in Christ have this uh, aspect of them about being this already, not yet. Theologians have this idea of calling them already, not yet. That is, while the treasures of Christ that I have and, and all the treasures that I have both in Christ and, and in Him, forgiveness, unconditional acceptance, peace, joy, love, all these things that I have in Him, they are mine right now. I have them all right now, but the full enjoyment of those things is something that I won't experience until Christ's return. I have them now already, 
but I don't have them fully yet. I don't experience the fullness of them yet. And I think this is exactly why Jesus encourages us to knowingly, intentionally see these eternal treasures that we have in him as being laid up in heaven, where neither moth or rust or destroy, uh, thieves don't break in and steal. That speaks to both their security, yes, but also as well as protecting us from the disappointment, any kind of disillusionment of not being able to enjoy them fully in this short 70 to 80 year stretch of our eternal existence that we refer to as our life. Which maybe doesn't sound that good to you. Sounds suboptimal. Like maybe we'd rather go for the short term treasures that, well, at least I can enjoy them now. And yet, just think about that. Uh, how many of you have ever stored up a, a priceless family heirloom, some valuable treasure, uh, stocks or whatever in a safety deposit box before? How many of you have a bank account where, where you put your paycheck and, and money into that's holding all your money right now? Just because you're not holding those things in your hand right at this very moment, aren't they still fully yours? Yeah, of course they are. That, that's the, the same understanding of already not yet. They are yours right now. You enjoy them fully when you can at last receive them. The Apostle Peter speaks of this exact idea of 1 Peter chapter 1 when he writes this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has, given, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Listen, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, now you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Or Hebrews 11, classic chapter on the heroes of the faith, which reminds us as it relates to those heroes, Hebrews 11:13. these all died in faith, not having received these things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Why? Well, because they were kept in heaven. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of the land from which they had gone, they would have had an opportunity to return. If all they were seeking was earthly treasures, they, they could have gone back and clung to those things. Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. When you transfer that idea of where our treasure is kept onto that same question of what it is that gave these martyrs of the past indestructible to remain faithful to Christ, even in the face of death, do you see how seeing Christ, their greatest treasure, along with all the benefits of that relationship with him as being something kept, stored up for them in heaven, meant that even death, as yes, as painful, as scary, as, as horrible as that would feel to go through, was only releasing them to fully realize, to embrace now for all eternity what in this life they had only known in part. Because their treasure was there, was kept secure 
Death wasn't taking that treasure from them. It was releasing them now to enjoy and embrace what they had only been able to enjoy in part here. It was releasing them to their treasure. That's why they could do that. Do you see it now? This, this is the power of what we truly treasure and where our treasure is kept that enabled these kingdom citizens to remain faithful under the most violent, horrific persecution possible. They saw Christ, not as the only thing that mattered, but as the greatest treasure, and understood that while all the benefits uh, that they had in Christ were theirs now, they were also kept safe. They were kept incorruptible for them in heaven to be enjoyed fully upon their death or Christ's return. That's how they could do that. But, well, well, that's Paul, though. That's Peter. That's all these other faithful kingdom citizens through the history of the church. That's them. What about you? What about me? What is it that I truly treasure? Where is my treasure kept? It's all too easy, again, particularly for those of us that grew up in the church, to kind of just give this thrown-out, unthought-through answer, just kind of a knee-jerk, habitual answer, just be like, oh, my treasure's Jesus, Jesus in heaven, right? Just throw out that answer without really pausing to consider whether or not, it, is that truly the case? Not do I know Jesus, not do I love him, but is he my treasure? And whether or not that, that statement is backed up by the way I live my life, so easy to just throw out that answer and not really truly consider it because that's the thing right as as horrific and violent and and painful as something like martyrdom is it's also this powerfully clarifying moment where you see what you truly treasure above all and where your treasure is truly kept revealed to all revealed for all to see right it's this powerfully clarifying thing but the hard thing that the hard thing for you and I about that is that although I, I, I don't wish for violent persecution knowing that we will likely never face the lions or the sword or fire for my faith in Jesus here means determining the answer to those questions. What is it that I truly treasure? Where is my treasure kept? Becomes much harder for me to answer. So much harder for me to really know because I don't have to face that horribly clarifying moment that forces me to have to answer and to answer with clarity. Not this kind of, oh, well, you know, yeah, I love Jesus. In that moment, you have to answer and answer with clarity. And I mean, living in this kind of protected existence, living in a country where we can worship freely, it's a blessing, but it's also a curse in that it prevents us, it puts having to really truly think through the answer to that question over here, kind of outside of our reach. And yet, still, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. You, you do still need to answer those questions. Every single one of us listening to this right now are still faced with the exact same questions every single day of our lives. You are. Every single time the, the bright and, and shiny yet fleeting and ultimately decaying treasures of this world promise hope, promise relief, promise peace and escape now. 
You can enjoy that now and call us just to abandon hope in some kind of unseen future promise of a fully realized in the future eternal treasure. They're saying, no, 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 you're suffering now, you're hurting now, just enjoy this now, you deserve this now. You're going to be forced to answer those questions. Every time the crushing weight of life or conflict or hunger or lust or depression or chronic pain seem to block out the light and make faithful endurance seem foolish or impossible, the very same questions will be placed in front of you again and again and again and again. What do you truly treasure? What do you truly treasure? Where is your treasure kept? be forced to answer these questions all through your life, whether or not you ever face death for your faith in Christ. <clears throat> How will you answer? How will you answer? Which master will you serve? Some of us, some of us will be faced with these uh, fires of revelation and find revealed in us a faith fixed on Christ as our greatest treasure and stand firm with an indestructible faith. Yeah. Some of us, like the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, will face these fires and walk away sad because what is revealed is that the treasure of this world now, enjoying them now, are of greater value to us than Jesus' offer of eternal pleasures found only in him. Some of us will face these fires, but we are just so tired. We've just come through a global pandemic. We're just tired. We're fatigued. Some of us are, are, are living under the dark clouds and confusing waves of things like depression, chronic pain. Some of us are just so young and new in our faith. We'll face these fires, and what we'll need is a friend, a brother, a sister, a faithful fellow traveler along the path who will walk alongside us, help point us back into the right direction when we wander and put an arm and an encouragement around us to help us get to the end. But the offer of hope held out to each and every one of us this morning is that the one who calls you to see him as your greatest treasure and who's truly worthy of being treasured first gave up all of his treasure. He lost all the treasure and riches and glories of heaven and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was faithful through death. He endured all of that. Why? Well, for the joy of treasuring you, for the joy of treasuring me, the joy of, of bringing us out of bondage and, and into freedom, into light, into life, into restoration. And it's actually that act of losing treasure in order to treasure us that has inspired countless men and women across the centuries to make Jesus their greatest treasure. Will you follow in their faithful footsteps? Will we as a church follow in their faithful steps today? Will you follow those steps both for your own joy now and in the future, but also for generations that will follow after us and look back to our example? as the author of Hebrews tells us, and I close with this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and I suppose we could add every earthly treasure that calls to us to enjoy life now and, and, and not think about having to uh, worry about eternal treasures. Let us lay all those things aside and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes on him, the founder and perfecter of our faith, our treasure, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, kept, kept in heaven for you, for me. Oh, Father in heaven, would you fix the eyes of our hearts on Jesus, fix him on him, and help us to see him in all of his beauty and glory and majesty, to see him as our greatest treasure. And enable us, Father, with that clarity of vision to walk through our days, these brief days of our life, as a result of treasuring him with an indestructible faith. Amen. Amen. I want to give us a closing benediction, and then we'll be dismissed. This beautiful and powerful Benediction from the end of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Go in the grace and the peace of Christ.